This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Maria Elmvang, Copenhagen, Denmark, October 2006. The Rosary by Florence L. Barclay. Chapter 2. Introduces the Honorable Jane. The only one of her relatives who practically made her home with the Duchess was her niece and former ward, the Honorable Jane Champion. And this consisted merely in the fact that the Honorable Jane was the one person who might invite herself to Aberdeen or Portland Place, arrive when she chose, stay as long as she pleased, and leave when it suited her convenience. On the death of her father, when her lonely girlhood in her Norfolk home came to an end, she would gladly have filled the place of a daughter to the Duchess. But the Duchess did not require a daughter, and a daughter with pronounced views, plenty of backbone of her own, a fine figure and a plain face, would have seemed to her grace of Meldrum a peculiarly undesirable acquisition. So Jane was given to understand that she might come whenever she liked, and stay as long as she liked, but on the same footing as other people. This meant liberty to come and go as she pleased, and no responsibility toward her aunt's guests. The Duchess preferred managing her own parties in her own way. Jane Champion was now in her thirtieth year. She had once been described, by one who saw below the surface, as a perfectly beautiful woman in an absolutely plain shell, and no man had as yet looked beneath the shell and seen the woman in her perfection. She would have made earth heaven for a blind lover who, not having eyes for the plainness of her face or the massiveness of her figure, might have drawn nearer and apprehended the wonder of her as a woman, experiencing the wealth of tenderness of which she was capable the blessed comfort of the shelter of her love, the perfect comprehension of her sympathy, the marvellous joy of winning and wedding her. But as yet no blind man with far-seeing vision had come her way, and it always seemed to be her lot to take second place on occasions where she would have filled the first to infinite perfection. She had been bridesmaid at weddings, where the charming brides, notwithstanding their superficial loveliness, possessed few of the qualification for wifehood with which she was so richly endowed. She was godmother to her friend's babies, she whose motherhood would have been a thing for wonder and worship. She had a glorious voice, but a face not matching it, its existence was rarely suspected, and as she accompanied to perfection, she was usually in requisition to play for the singing of others. In short, all her life long Jane had filled second places, and filled them very contentedly. She had never known what it was like to be absolutely first with anyone. Her mother's death had occurred during her infancy, so that she had not even the most shadowy remembrance of that maternal love and tenderness which she used sometimes to try to imagine, although she had never experienced it. Her mother's maid, a faithful and devoted woman, dismissed soon after the death of her mistress, chancing to be in the neighbourhood some twelve years later, called at the manor in the hopes of finding some in the household who remembered her. After tea, Fraulein and Miss Jebb being out of the way, she was spirited up into the schoolroom to see Miss Jane, her heart full of memories of the sweet babe upon whom she and her dear lady had lavished so much love and care. She found awaiting her a tall, plain girl, with a frank boyish manner, and a rather disconcerting way, as she afterwards remarked, of taking stock of a body the while one was a-talking, which at first checked the flow of good Sarah's reminiscences, put forth so freely in the housekeeper's room below and reduced her to looking tearfully around the room, 
remarking that she remembered choosing the blessed wallpaper with her dear lady now gone, whose joy had been so great when the dear babe first took notice and reached up for the roses. And I can show you, miss, if you care to know it, just which bunch of roses it were. But before Sarah's visit was over, Jane had heard many undreamed of things, amongst others, that her mother used to kiss her little hands. Ah, many a time she did, miss, caught them little rose petals and covered them with kisses. The child, utterly unused to any demonstrations of affection, looked at her rather ungainly brown hands and laughed, simply because she was ashamed of the unwanted tightening at her throat and the queer stinging of tears beneath her eyelids. Thus Sarah departed under the impression that Miss Jane had grown up into a rather heartless young lady. But Fräulein and Jebby never knew why, from that day onward, the hands, of which they had so often had cause to complain, were kept scrupulously clean, and on her birthday night, unashamed in the quiet darkness, the lonely little child kissed her own hands beneath the bedclothes, striving thus to reach the tenderness of her dead mother's lips. And in after years, when she became her own mistress, one of her first actions was to advertise for Sarah Matthews, and engage her as her own maid, at a salary which enabled the good woman eventually to buy herself a comfortable annuity. Jane saw but little of her father, who had found it difficult to forgive her, firstly for being a girl when he desired a son, secondly being a girl, for having inherited his plainness rather than her mother's beauty. Parents are apt to see no injustice in the fact that they are often annoyed with their offspring for possessing attributes, both of character and appearance, with which they themselves have endowed them. The hero of Jane's childhood, the chum of her girlhood, and the close friends of her maturer years, was Derek Brand, only son of the rector of the Paris, and a senior by nearly ten years. But even in their friendship, close though it was, she had never felt herself first to him. As a medical student, at home during vacations, his mother and his profession took precedence in his mind of the lonely child, whose devotion pleased him and whose strong character and original mental development interested him. Later on he married a lovely girl, as unlike Jane as one woman could possibly be to another, but still their friendship held and deepened, and now, when he was rapidly advancing to the very front rank of his profession, her appreciation of his work and sympathetic understanding of his aims and efforts meant more to him than even the signal mark of royal favour of which he had lately been the recipient. Jane Champion had no close friends amongst the women of her set. Her lonely girlhood had bred in her an absolute frankness towards herself and other people, which made it difficult for her to understand or tolerate the little artificialities of society, or the trivial weaknesses of her own sex. Women to whom she had shown special kindness, and they were many, maintained an attitude of grateful admiration in her presence, and of cowardly silence in her absence, when she chanced to be under discussion. But of men friends she had many especially among a set of young fellows just through college, of whom she made particular chums. Nice lads, who wrote to her of their college and mess-room scrapes, as they would never have dreamed of doing to their own mothers. She knew perfectly well that they called her Old Jane, and Pretty Jane, and Dearest Jane, amongst themselves, but she believed in the harmlessness of their fun, and the genuineness of their affection, and gave them a generous amount of her own in return. Jane Champion happened just now to be paying one of her long visits to Overdean, and was playing golf with a boy for whom she had long had a rot and pickle on the summer afternoon when the Duchess went to cut blooms in her rose garden. Only, as Jane found out, 
you cannot decorously lead up to a scolding if you are very keen on golf and go golfing with a person who is equally enthusiastic and who all the way to the links explains exactly how he played every hole the last time he went round and all the way back gloats over in retrospection the way you and he have played every hole this time so jane considered afternoon didactically a failure but in the smoking room that night young cathcart explained the game over all again to a few choice spirits and then remarked old jane was superb fancy such a drive as that and doing number seven in three and not talking about it i've jolly well made up my mind to send no more bouquets to tutu hang it boys you can't see yourself at champagne suppers with a dancing woman when you've walked around the links on a day like this with the honourable jane she drives like a rifle shot and when she laughs you'd think the ball was a shallow and beat me three holes up and never mentioned it by jove a fellow wants to have a clean bill when he shakes hands with her End of chapter 2